Amazing Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that has about as much energy as a school bus fire after what's happened to us the last two weeks. I'm Jared Stormer of AmazingBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, you psychopathic Olympiad forest runner. How the hell are you feeling, brother? You know, man, I'm alive. Um, it's hard to say after the Michigan game that I have much more than a pulse, but... At least we have football. I'm trying to be optimistic. We didn't think we would. We have football, and it feels good to be mad about it. Is it better to have football and have the current product on the field than to have a lack of football? That is a question for people more intelligent than you or I. It is, but I I would much rather have football to be mad about than wondering what if. Because if we didn't have football, we'd be like, you know what? Michigan's going to win. We would have beaten them all. This would have been our year. But no, it's not. So at least we have answers and closure. Yeah, you're right. It is better to have football, and I mean, it gives me something to do when I wake up at Saturday, and I'm in mountain time, so 10 a.m., got games on, and I'm not doing anything on a Saturday at 10 a.m., usually nursing a hangover, so I'm already in pain. Exactly, like you wake up, get dressed, go home, and then you watch football. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> ideally, not, not in 2020. 2020, it's a lot of dwelling in the home with my own thoughts and misery, and watching Indiana absolutely beat the brakes off of Michigan. Yeah, I was not expecting to get boat raced by the Hoosiers in 2020, but I wasn't expecting a lot that happened this year, so just take it in stride. Yep, like I said, it's still the 30th lamest thing to happen in 2020, so you can't hurt me. Michigan yeah, we're, we're going to end this year with a countdown of all the terrible things that happened to us, just purge them from our system. Right, exactly, and it's not even going to make the top 10. So, uh, But before we get into the bad news and, and really you know, depress our, our listenership. Uh, Michigan basketball recruiting class is number one in the nation. They signed their letters of intent today. Juwan Howard putting in work, and maybe we're a basketball school now. I'm fine with this. I'm all about adapting, you know, being a basketball school now and just using football to get us there. Wasn't expecting to land both those five stars the other day, though, and I saw that on Twitter and was like, okay, I kind of needed this pick-me-up. Yeah, a pair of 6'10 power forwards that are athletic and can handle the ball, I mean – that's the, the future of, or that's the way that the basketball is trending, especially the NBA. So, I mean, those are going to be two impactful guys in Caleb Houston and the, the other, the Diabate is yep. the last thing. I, I don't know if I'm saying that correct. I hadn't even heard of him. Didn't know we were in on him. Seemed like a surprise last minute commitment from him. But Juwan Howard, um, I mean, there was really some, there was never really any doubt in his recruiting, but he's gone above and beyond. Yeah, it was he couldn't land like the big five stars like he was struggling then, and now he's saying we have the number one class. Is this the first time Michigan's had a number one class since the Fab Five? I believe so. I don't know when else it would have been. I mean, we've had solid recruiting classes, but uh, Beeline Moore did a lot with a little. I mean, he turned three and four star guys into NBA draft picks. Yeah, I mean, Duncan Robinson is a G at the next level, and he was a D3 fine by Beeline. So, yeah, he was more about maximizing the talent. And when he did get players like Trey Burke to come in, obviously he maximized that as well. But never have we seen a recruiting class like this this century. So, I mean, this is fantastic. If you want to have one knock on it, there's probably going to be a lot of one-and-dones, uh, or at least yep. a couple one-and-dones with those guys. But guys like Zeb Jackson at the point guard, I'm extremely excited to have him running point. I think he'll be really solid for us. Um, you know, lost Isaiah Todd, but brought in – um, what was his name? Howard. Um, he didn't get to play this year. He's a, he'll be a freshman this incoming year. Um, his name is, we got uh, Hunter Dickinson coming in. 
Zeb Jackson, and then Terrence Williams was the uh, the other high recruit that'll be a freshman next year. So uh, some size, athleticism, and you know a lot of star power coming to Michigan. So something to be excited about. Exactly, and the one and done thing is you know bad. You know doesn't feel great, but that's the climate. And if you want yeah. to recruit the top guys, you get them for a year, maximize them, they move on, and you reload. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's I, I was saying that more so in jest, trying yeah. to find a, another angle to this. There's really no negatives to this. It's it's a good look for the program. Now you just got to translate it into wins. And I mean, I love the roster for next year with Livers and Franz Wagner coming back with an extra year to develop behind the scenes, granted, but they, they're still going to be developing, hopefully putting on some weight. So uh, going to be interesting and exciting to watch Michigan basketball the next couple of years. I always appreciate a man that tries to zag when we're talking about having the number one recruiting class in the country for the first time in 30 years. You, it's sir, terrible. are a true American. <laughs> I know we're going to zag in a moment, so I'm just like, <laughs> softening the blow because eventually we're going to have to talk about Michigan football. All right, you wanna, let's get into it. I'm ready. Yeah, let's get into what happened against uh, Indiana. Uh, it was huh, 38-21 and never really even felt like Michigan was in this game. I mean, they were, but they got – handedly beat in almost every aspect um the same issues that you saw against michigan state i mean they came up again so you learned that that wasn't a one-off there are serious deficiencies with this team um tackles both ryan hayes and jalen mayfield going out certainly didn't do them any favors but i mean where do you want to start this was it was bad all the way around uh, let's let's start on the defense we'll get to milton the offense in a second <clears throat> Lose Aiden Hutchinson, I believe, on the first drive of the game from Indiana. Yep. Just that immediately just took the wind out of the sails. Michael Penix just destroyed this team. Just 30 of 50 for 342 and three touchdowns. Made him look like he was, I don't know, Steve McNair back there. I mean, just, I mean, he was picking apart this team, slinging it all over the place. They were running the ball on this team. Ty Freifogel had 142 yards, averaged 20 yards a catch. Stevie Scott almost just finished three yards short of 100 and had two touchdowns. Like, their offense was base, borderline unstoppable at times. Yeah, and uh, really helped out. I mean, to, to touch on uh, Michael Penix Jr. real quick, he was on pace for 500 yards when they went into the half. They cooled it down in the second half, having a little bit of a lead. So, I mean, it could have been much worse. He could have had 500 yards passing and four touchdowns, but they slowed down a little bit, took the foot off the, the throat in the second half. So it could have been even worse. But, um, but yeah, like you were saying, but also a lot of that was self-inflicted. Um, on several of those scores, they came on free plays. Free plays were huge. Jumping off sides seemed like once a drive. Usually uh, it, it, it meant points, too, in this game. Those errors directly led to points. The pass interferences would extend drives, also leading to points a couple times, particularly in the fourth quarter where Vincent Gray, we finally get pressure, and uh, Phoenix Jr.'s rolling to his left just trying to get rid of it, and for no reason, Vincent Gray doesn't even look up to see if the ball's there, but does decide to yank on the left arm of the receiver he's covering on an uncatchable ball. I mean, just self-inflicted wounds, and it was ugly to watch. I've never seen this many offsides penalties in one game by the same team. 
No, and obviously some of that is they're kind of getting used to this new environment of playing without fans. And I really, really think this team could use the support of the home crowd. Um, They could have used it against Michigan State, and they're going to need it against Wisconsin. But maybe even just having that, you know, the crowd noise to try and take away some of that and limit the effectiveness of how they're able to draw them off sides, I don't know. But that was undisciplined. It was sloppy. It was several players doing it. You got pass interference. You got Don Brown's unwillingness to switch to zone. And then he does switch to zone, and it looks like he hasn't really taught how to play zone, or not with this team. Um, You know, pick an issue. They They were all over the place. It's very frustrating watching Michigan and watching any other top-tier program because any other top-tier program has a seamless blend of zone man coverages and different schemes and disguises. Don Browns feels really cut and dry. It's either going to be heavy press man or a bracket zone coverage with a lot of holes in it that hasn't been ironed out or tested. There's not much variance on the field of it. All the players are dropping in similar positions, and these receivers are too smart for that at the college level you see a zone you settle in you catch the ball if it's man-to-man you work your you work on him and get separation it's it's very frustrating to watch it's just this is not the kind of defense you can have for an elite level team michigan's given up over 400 yards in their last four losses like this is unacceptable yeah one of them we gave up 577 to ohio state we've also lost four of our last five games and i mean in year six you don't expect to see that kind of decline. And um, part of it, too, um, going back to what we saw on defense, Sean Nua better be, I mean, he better be coaching for his job as well because I was not impressed with the defensive line, their lack of uh, just anticipation, uh, the lack of pressure. At I mean, not a lot of pressure to speak of whatsoever. I mean, great, Aiden Hutchinson goes out, but they didn't do anything against Michigan State. Pay wins a lot of one-on-ones, but he's the only one winning one-on-ones. Yeah. He, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, when he was healthy in the first two games, the first game he was effective. The second game against Michigan State was ineffective. The defense could not get off the field. Uh, uh, Indiana was converting third downs at 50%, two for two on fourth down. They had 88 plays to Michigan's 52, and they possessed the ball 38-50 to Michigan's 21-10. I mean, it, it's just not good no matter how you look at it. Um, let's switch over to the offense, which – I think played a little bit better. I mean, played within themselves, play were kind of where we expected them to be, minus the 13 yards rushing, but, you know. 13. 13 yards rushing. Uh, Three of their, I think it's three of their six rushers or two of their four rushers. Yeah, three of their six rushers had negative yards rushing. Blake Corum, Giles Jackson, and Joe Milton all went backwards. So (laughs) that's not going to get it done. Uh, Look, you're missing your two starting tackles, one of them's potential first rounder. That's not going to help. But we had been praising how there was depth on the offensive line, and this is a position group that we feel good about. 13 yards rushing is abysmal against an improved Indiana team, and Tom Allen's a defensive head coach, but that, that is just abysmal, and you can't put all that weight on Joe Milton's shoulders. No, you cannot. He was never comfortable in the pocket. The offensive line change definitely rattled him. Once he got hit a couple times, he got happy feet, got confused in there, moved around, ran out of the pocket when he shouldn't have, just didn't have the trust and comfort that he was used to inside the pocket. And Milton's already shaky, being a young first-year starter and having you know a Russian roulette on the offensive line didn't help. 
No, definitely not. He he showed you some things though, and you saw some things with the offense, particularly with the young receivers. Uh, Cornelius Johnson had a good day. Ronnie Bell, I think we can go ahead and lock him in as our best receiver and one of the best players on the offense altogether. Um, but you see the potential, but they're just a ways away, and they can't do it without a running game. This team needs to lean on their stable of running backs and a strong running game if they want to win games. And then your defense. And you don't have either of those things, so now it's up to Joe Milton to win these games. He's not quite ready for that. I think eventually he will be. The The talent is there. The, he's getting better, minus those interceptions, particularly the first one. That was bad. But you, you expect that out of a young guy. But he needs some help, and 13 yards rushing ain't, ain't helping. No, because he flashed the talent. That one big throw to Ronnie Bell on the run was perfect. The deep ball to Cornelius Johnson to tie the game at 7-7 seven to seven was probably his best throw of the season. But then you have throws where he misses Ronnie Bell wide open by 15 yards. Like He has the bad interception when Michigan could have cut it to a one-score game in the fourth quarter despite how bad they were playing. It was just Milton is so up and down. Like He just needs to find the happy medium. And to your point, if Michigan could establish the running game like they did against Minnesota, it's a lot easier for Gaddis to get his rhythm. Josh Gaddis is an above-average play caller when Michigan can run the ball, and he's a below-average play caller when they cannot. Right. I still have faith in Gaddis. He's never had an outing where they only ran for 13 yards. I mean, you probably have to go way back in his coaching career to find an outing with that little rushing output. And we've got the backs to do it. We've got talented backs. But, I mean, just the whole the penetration from Indiana. Indiana is able to get such penetration against Michigan. I mean, the talent gap there should be big enough that you're winning your one-on-ones, even with our second string in there. But no, no, you know, second level um, as far as far as our offensive line getting to the second level, and nobody really able to get anything going. Zach Charbonnet had one rush. I mean, that's not going to cut it either. Granted, you're playing from behind most of the day, and you need to throw the ball. And you see that it's not working, but one rush for Zach Charbonnet is not going to cut it. No, not at all. In his one rush, he got four yards, which on average was Michigan's highest rusher. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, It's tough to say, man. I will say, though, you've got to just pick a back or two and start with them and give them a chance to get into a rhythm. This new running back every series, that's not I, – I don't like it personally. Maybe that's the way to do it. You keep everyone fresh, but I'd prefer to see someone get a chance to get into a rhythm. I think you have to do it more like they did last season when they only had the two backs in Haskins and Charbonnet. Like, you look at the Notre Dame game last year. Haskins was the guy. He was hot, and they rode him, and he was incredible. And I think that's what Michigan needs more of this season. Yeah, ride the guy, the hot hand there. And, I mean, you're not even giving anybody a chance to really become the hot hand. Chances are it's Haskins is your best back from what I've seen this year. Charbonnet needs touches, and I agree Corum needs touches. Evans probably should be getting more targets out of the backfield, more end arounds, different ways to, to utilize him. But if you're running between the tackles, I think that you probably stick with Haskins and Charbonnet. And, and Corum has proven that you should give him touches. I agree with that. Yeah, Corum needs to be getting on the edge. Uh, same with A.J. Henning, Giles Jackson. Those guys need to get the ball on the edge in some space. But yeah, Haskins has been the guy this year. He's looked the best and the most consistent, especially against Michigan State. He was the one hot back in that game, and man, let Haskins cook. Come on. That's what I'm saying. Let the boy eat. Um, before we go, so those are just kind of some of the immediate issues. We want to talk big picture issues, but 
talk about something real quick that's uh, actually a positive. Got a new sponsor, and that's Home Field. They're doing uh, premium collegiate apparel. Uh, incredibly comfortable. I just got my hoodie. I think I touched on that last week. Still rocking it, uh, despite the fact that Michigan's not doing well. The hoodie is holding up wonderfully. They're launching their Michigan line, or it launched on November 7th, so you can get it now at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, you can dig through the archives, find your unique logos, mascots, go with a more old-school look, or go with the updated stuff. Whatever you want, customizable. So highly recommend it, homefieldapparel.com. Um, so yeah, so any more, uh, immediate issues that you saw as far as what this team can fix moving forward before we move on to the big picture issues of the program. Besides what we touched upon, just <clears throat> consistency. And we're going to get more into that with the big picture. Yeah, I, I think that kind of falls under the big picture issues. So big picture, here we are in year six. And I mean, we're not going to beat a dead horse. Now, you know, the record against Ohio state, you know, we're three and three against Michigan state. You know the troubles on the road against ranked opponents. There's been some great moments in there. We all know those as well. But you can definitely tell with the way this season is going, there is definitely a, a not an uproar, but there's a murmur. And I would say it's a, a loud murmur amongst the fan base that this isn't good enough. And it is Michigan. We have one of the largest fan bases, so there's more opinions. Everyone's got an opinion. But now you're starting to get people like you and I who generally preach patience. I mean, a lot of the media and the people that cover it really starting to lose patience here. Yeah, like you said, this is year six. A lot of people were clamming for it after 2018. The revenge tour year ended disappointingly against Ohio State. And you and I were even saying, hey, this was one of the most fun Michigan seasons I can ever remember. Yeah, this sucks. It was an awful, inexcusable loss. But let's not jump the gun here and just fire the coach for one bad game. <clears throat> but then you get 2019 and the things that happened there. And it's okay. We're still kind of in this. But now we're here with losses to a terrible Michigan State team, to an up-and-coming Indiana team, but not the performance Michigan needed to have. Like, this is getting hard to defend in any case. And it almost feels like it's a season to coach for your job. And if it gets bad and this team finishes one and seven, two and six, I don't know how you bring back anybody. It's that's what we're looking at, too. I look at the roster now and Maryland and Rutgers are very much improved. Those aren't guaranteed wins anymore. And I mean, Wisconsin, we've got them this week. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, tough to know. They've played four quarters of football. Penn State, you, they're also in a tailspin as well, but. I mean, you can't feel good about what we've seen so far from our own team, so that'll be a trash bowl. It's <laughs> just not this year, not this deep in, not where you're supposed to be reloading, not when you have consistent top 10 recruiting classes, not with the resources we have, with the facilities we have. There shouldn't be years where you win one game. I mean, we looked at the roster this offseason, and we kind of tempered expectations, but we thought two to three losses would be about right in a normal year. Three losses, maybe you lose your bowl game, four-loss season. I mean, we're going to have that in a shortened season. With, I mean, Joe Milton and all this talent all over, you got two potential first-rounders on defense. You've got every, you got your guys in place. You've made changes on the roster, and you're looking at maybe a one-win season? Are you kidding me? Yeah. The big thing is, what the hell? My dad, who's not a big college football fan, but was just talking to me about the game. Like, if you line up Michigan and Indiana player for player, it's clear who has the more talent on this team. Like, who should be winning? 
like, so where does the blame fall? And that goes straight to the coaching staff. Like, if you can't maximize or even get 75% out of all the talent you have on this roster, then what are we doing here? It's, it's an exercise in futility if we just keep spinning our wheels and not like getting our players to play up to the level they should be playing at. Like, it's just inexcusable, especially at year six. We have the systems in place to make these players good. We have the whole pro blue. We send players to the NFL. Can we have them be good at Michigan first? That's, that's what I'm screaming here. Now, to be fair, to, to back up what I said earlier, I do not think we will only win one game this year. That would be a colossal failure. I think we will right the ship at least somewhat. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. Don Brown is obviously going to be here for this game against Wisconsin. Some people thought he might get canned last week. So I don't know if the changes come there. It looks like we'll probably ride with what we got for the year. So the changes need to happen with the roster that we have. And if not, it, I think one win is going to be tough to justify for $8.4 million, $7.5 million, whatever he's getting paid per year. He's the fourth highest paid coach Jim Harbaugh is in all of college football. The fans are not going to they're not going to sit by for that. And I think you hit the nail directly on the head. It's return on investment. What are you getting for the talent, the resources, the things that are given to you? What are you are, you know, like uh, what, what's what Jack Nicholson says in, in The Departed? You know, John Lennon says, you know, give me a tuba and I'm going to squeeze something out of it. What are we squeezing out of our orchestra of wealth of wealth that we have, you know? Yeah, like there it's just inexcusable. Like I said, even if we're getting 75 percent of that, but we're not even getting close to that this season with the talent we have on this roster. And not to mention the facilities, the resources. Granted, they've done a great job. You know, they practice all through when there's not going to be football. They've done a good job quarantining. But, I mean, Mel Tucker came in there and kicked our ass after like a week of practice with a new team. What, what are we doing? And a new team, and you want to talk about a talent gap. There is a large talent gap. I mean, everybody on that Michigan State team, they have like a couple four stars. You got four and five stars all over Michigan's roster. I mean, you should be the better team in every phase of the game, and we weren't in any phase of the game. So it's it's tough to know. There's no right answers. They're certainly not going to come from this podcast or from any media outlet on what you do to fix this. But that doesn't mean we're not going to try. So uh, let's keep talking big picture here. Uh, let's take a quick break, though, and we'll talk that and then preview Wisconsin right after this. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are doing our best to keep a smile on our face as we talk about the state of the Michigan program here in 2020. We're talking a little bit big picture after talking about the disaster that we saw at Indiana, the disaster that we saw at Michigan State. I mean, you can break down the X's and O's, but you saw as well as we did what's going on. So we're talking big picture here. And um, I wanted to talk about the case of Brian Kelly, which is the most compelling reason why you might keep Jim Harbaugh and let him. Like, you have to make a change with Don Brown. I, I think that we're both in agreement there. I think the game has passed him by. But why you might keep Jim Harbaugh, and that is the case of Brian Kelly. So do you want to kind of talk about what that he, – he's in his 10th year, by the way, Brian Kelly, which you neither you or I really realized until we looked at this. But do you want to maybe run us through what his record looked like and why I'm saying that he might be the case to keep Harbaugh? Yeah. So Brian Kelly, as you mentioned, has been at – Notre Dame since Obama's first administration, halfway what? through it. He's been there forever, which feels like three lifetimes ago. So Brian Kelly rolls through there. He goes eight and five, eight and five, 12 and one, 
national title game appearance where they got boat raced by Alabama, but still. Yeah, yeah so let me stop you right, go let me stop right there because I want to compare this kind of – does that not sound a little bit like what Harbaugh did right out of the gates? Within his first two years, Harbaugh is knocking on the door of the Big Ten and the championship game. Yep. So there's some parallels there. Yeah, even better, Harbaugh was – 10 and, yeah, it was what uh, finished the season 10 and three, won the bowl game, blew out Florida with Rudock, and then goes into 16 and starts the season undefeated before dropping Iowa, finished that season 10 and two, and then again 10 and three in the second season. And we think, yep. wow, this is it. Right. So actually, a better start than Kelly out of the gate. Okay, continue, yeah. please. All right. And then he goes, Brian Kelly, after the 12 and one season, let me find, I lost my play there. Uh, goes uh, 2013. Yep, goes nine and four. Eight and five, ten and three, four and eight. That's the next stopping point. Twenty sixteen, he goes four and eight. It would have been very easy to dump Brian Kelly that year, and I think Notre Dame fans, probably the majority of the fan base, I'd need to talk to a Notre Dame fan, probably wanted him gone. Yeah, a hundred percent wanted him gone. But the thing is, he lost eight games that season. He has not lost eight games since that season combined. Combined. Next year he goes ten and three, twelve and one, eleven and two, and they're currently seven and zero, and just beat Clemson in double overtime. Exactly. So that is to me. I think Notre Dame is the best barometer for Michigan right now. You can't judge yourself yourself against Ohio State, Clemson, or Alabama because I'm pretty sure if you have a pulse and you can write your name on the dotted line, you can get into that school. Michigan is more on par with Notre Dame as far as a big-name college football program that has higher academic standards but also, you know, expects to win football games and also has the resources, the money to pay a coach. And they stuck with him after that 4-8 and eight season. That was his seventh year. We're in Harbaugh's sixth. So this could very well be his, you know, Brian Kelly 2016 4-8 year, but it might be a one-win year. Now, you compare the, the record that you just saw against what Jim Harbaugh has done he doesn't have a year. He, in fact, eight and five, which he's done three times, Brian Kelly, Harbaugh did in his worst year. That was Harbaugh's worst year up to this point in 2017, which we said, and you said a great point off air, that it should be their floor. Yeah, that absolutely should be his floor. He's making this much money. He should not lose. He should not win any less than eight games. It's not the standard. It's just the very bottom basement. I mean, Harbaugh's had a great tenure here. He struggled in really two aspects, and it's Ohio State games. It's Ohio State games and this season now, like what they've transpired into. But so you can even put rivalry games in there with the three and three Michigan State mark. But the way they're falling right now definitely feels eerily similar to the 16 Notre Dame season. The defensive changes have to be made. There's just there's no excuse. The new offensive change. There's there's if you rewatch the Indiana game, there's a lot of positive momentum to take away. Watching it live, it didn't feel so much. But on rewatch, there's really good sequences and really good rhythm at times. But defensively, maybe you make a few changes there and you run it back with Harbaugh. Like, could he turn it around like Brian Kelly? He's got a year left on the contract, and it's going to be hard to move on for him in a year with no revenue because of COVID. Yes, I, I think that you're kind of forced into some things because of the lack of revenue. So I really doubt that they move on from Jim Harbaugh. So the issue might be forced. But Four and eight is, is pretty bad in a full season, but if we do end up winning one game, which, I like I said, we're not going to win only one game, but we might only win three, 
and that is not going to sit well. And I don't know if Michigan fans are more patient than Notre Dame fans or if we're all the same. Chances are most college football fans anywhere you go in the country are the same, except Michigan State, who seems to just only have trolls for fans. But I don't know what the response is going to be to a three-win Michigan season in year six for Harbaugh. I don't know if the noise will be so loud that they force him out. I don't know if they would just drown out that noise and say, this is what we're doing. We're sticking with it. It's just a very interesting point. And I, I think that it's more made more interesting by the fact that it's Notre Dame, who I think is our closest, it's the closest facsimile to our program. Now, that's a great point. And it's one I haven't heard been made almost anywhere. Everyone's just, you know, wants the new coach. It's kind of like how the most popular guy on a football team is always the backup quarterback. It's like, you know, always want to change it up, do something different. But Notre Dame has proven that, you know, you stick the course. And after that four and eight season, two years later, they go to the college football playoff. And now they're in line to do it again. It's like, granted, Brian Kelly has, you know, the BCS championship appearance and Harbaugh fell short against Ohio State in 16. So, yeah, that buys you some time. But, no, this is very similar. In a year and offseason where it's going to be tough to make changes, that might be your best bet, especially if you can't land a home run higher. Because I guarantee there are already feelers out there they can bring in somebody. Exactly. And uh, I'm just looking it up right now. If I'm not mistaken, Brian Kelly made a coaching change. Yes, he did. He made several coaching changes after that 2016 uh, disaster season that they had. Scott Booker, Keith Gilmore were both dismissed. Mike Denbrock was hired at Cincinnati. So he got rid of one, two, three, four, six coaches on his staff, changed roles after that. So he did recognize, much like Harbaugh has done in years where we've fallen short, that you've got to make changes. So that would once again have to happen with Harbaugh because people have Don Brown figured out to a T, to the letter. (laughs) Yeah, dude, people could read Don Brown like a children's book right now. It feels like Eric Carlisle wrote the book on it. They're just tearing through him. There's, there have to be changes made with him. Probably Sean Nua. I like what Gaddis brings. A lot of position coaches need to be shuffled around, moved, taken out. You don't do the Mark D'Antonio and just move one guy here and one guy there and just change their name, their titles. The program definitely needs some fresh blood in there, some new life. And, you know, maybe that's the move you make. Because even in Brian Kelly has his bad games. We housed them last season. But yes. they bounce back, and they're number two in the country now. Like it didn't just it didn't just uh, waterfall from then on where they just suck. It's like no, they took the loss, moved on, and here they are. Exactly, and we've taken beatings before and haven't called for Harbaugh's job. I mean, Penn State absolutely beat the brakes off of us with Barkley and uh, Trace McSorley, yeah, yeah, and that really solid team that they had. But we're like, you know, it happens. Games get away from you. Let's not overreact to this. But now we've lost four of the last five, and the defense has been a common denominator in those losses. So, yeah, I want to make that switch now. Let's kind of talk about the coaching staff and what changes we need to make. I agree you, you touched on the two names that have to be the hottest seats right now, and that's Don Brown and Sean Nua. Uh, Sean Nua, I mean, I guess we took Greg Madison for granted there as the defensive line coach. Uh, David Montgomery, way back when, who went to Oklahoma, he was D-line coach for a while. We've lost some position coaches that you say, oh, we'll just make up for that. But some of them have been bigger than they really seemed on the surface. Special teams have taken a step back this year. Chris Partridge was a big part of that. He was also being groomed to be the next defensive coordinator. He's gone. Devin Bush Sr., great recruiter and beloved in the locker room. You let him go. 
So some of those smaller position changes, I think, are also starting to – coaching position changes are also starting to show up here as well. The loss of Partridge especially is felt in the special teams, and you go to the first special teams play of the season, and it's a blocked punt. At that moment, I knew, all right, this is not the Chris Partridge coach special teams we've seen in the past. Most definitely, and you're starting to notice those things, and defensive line in particular, losing Madison, I think, is is also super important. You notice that one. At the time, we were just like, ah, snake in the grass, let him go, but man, you'd love to have him on that defense right now. I mean, he's tried and true. It would make a huge difference for this defense. It's, it's such in desperate need of an identity or just some kind of injection of life. <laughs> Something to lean on. I mean, you've got great players all over. Like, Dax Hill's incredible. Quiddy Pay looks great. Hutchinson, when he's able to play, looks like above average. Doesn't look quite as strong as we were expecting him to look. But Michael Barrett looks good. I mean, so, uh, what's his? Uh, Cam McGrone, still a solid player. There's talent all over. So we just need someone that can maximize it. So um, I want to talk now what you think should be done and what you think will be done as far as coaching staff changes and maybe some names if you have them. I think defensively there's going to be a complete overhaul. There has to be. We can talk hardball and everything else till the sun comes up, but let's start where it is going to happen, and that is going to be on the defense. Namely, Don Brown is gone. A name to watch, a current head coach and a big splash that could be made at Michigan is if Jeremy Pruitt loses his job at Tennessee. He was a very decorated defensive coordinator under the tutelage of Nick Saban. You bring a guy like that and his defensive pedigree to Michigan, now that can change a culture. Yeah, that was the guy we were talking about him off air because Tennessee fans are getting fed up with him, and he's still fairly young. And, you know, a lot of times you get a guy like Greg Schiano coming off of uh, an unsuccessful head coaching job. He goes to be a D.C. at Ohio State, kind of reinvents himself, does a great job at Ohio State, and then gets another job at Rutgers and is off and, and running again. So that could be something that Jeremy Pruitt might look for. And next year is so big for Michigan, especially if you keep Harbaugh, because we're going to be loaded. We're going to bring back a ton of guys, and there'll be no excuses next year for not winning the Big Ten championship. Um, I mean, other than Ohio State being the last team that you face. So I love that. I love Jeremy Pruitt. If he doesn't get fired and he doesn't become available, uh, the guy I like is the current Cincinnati defensive coordinator and former Ohio State linebacker Marcus Freeman. Um, he's young. They've got a top 20 defense right now. Uh, he's learning under Fickle. Uh, and I like Fickle as a coach. You know, we can maybe talk here in a minute about him being a potential head coaching option. But Marcus Freeman's young. He'll be able to recruit. Uh, he'll be able to relate to the players being a former player. I think that that would be a good move. Somebody that's young enough to know that you can't just get set on one thing that worked in 1971, but maybe doesn't work in 2020. That's exactly what you need somebody like. Obviously, the pinnacle of defensive coordinators in college football is Brent Venables, a, a guy that is just, you know, year in and year out, reinventing the defense, moving pieces around, making adjustments to the players he has, not just running one set scheme. And the master of anything defensive is Nick Saban, who has been doing this forever and getting defensive coordinators, head coaching jobs long before we were covering football. So you have to be adaptable. And I think going with a younger guy like that who has proven that he can do this is a big deal. A lot of Michigan fans are clamoring for Chris Partridge before he departed to Ole Miss. Well, their defense is currently 119th in the country. Not all his fault, but this is his first defensive coordinator job. I don't want anybody to have their first defensive coordinator job at Michigan. I'm sorry. 
Right, yeah. I mean, because this season, it's shortened, you know, it's not a full season, it's a weird season with no fans and everything. So, I mean, he could still end up being a good D coordinator for them. I think he will end up being a strong defensive coordinator, but we don't know that yet. Going after Chris Partridge to lead your defense just because you thought we should have kept him would be an overreaction. Now, if you were going to overreact and you wanted to go to somebody that's been on the staff, the name is Greg Madison. You know what Greg Madison can do as a defensive coordinator, and I think he was probably a little bit more adaptable than Don Brown. Which is saying something. He absolutely was. He would you know, do this and do that, and Harbaugh did the right thing of keeping him on the staff, and then he went and became a snake and went to Ohio State. But he at least knew how to adapt with his defense and wouldn't just one, run the same one or two schemes every game. Yeah, and if you want to be a two-headed snake and just you know slither your way right back up to Ann Arbor... <laughs> Maybe that's what we need. I, I I have no idea, but I think you're right. I think there will be changes made on the defensive side of the ball, especially if this ends up being a three, four win season, which it's certainly on track to be. Um, I mean, if we write the ship starting this week and run the table to Ohio state, maybe you could justify bringing him back, but we're, we're going to get absolutely fetty whopped <laughs> Ohio state. So we're going to get uh, wop filliard by this team. Yeah. We already got wop filliard. Yeah, so I, I really I think you're right. I think that it will be defensive staff um, that gets shaken up. I think Harbaugh probably ends up staying. But you have a couple names should things really go south and we only win one, maybe two games this year and Harbaugh leaves. Anybody that's really standing out even? Of course. You mentioned one already who everybody is high on, and that is Luke Fickle. You, bring, you take the Ohio State prodigal son and you take him to Ann Arbor. You talk about a snake move. He brings his young defensive coordinator with him, and that's what he's done at the Cincinnati with the Cincinnati job. There was a reason Urban Meyer kept Luke Fickle around when he came to town. Luke Fickle is an up and comer. He really is. And if that happened, and you kept Josh Gaddis, and maybe kept and Ed Wariner, and kept some of that continuity with the staff, I mean, all of a sudden you're in business. I'd be I'd be totally for that. Um, if you can get Brett Venables to leave Clemson, he seems pretty content there. Eventually, he'll take another job. But he's like you you mentioned off air, he's got two kids on the roster, so he might be entrenched there. But if you could get Brett Venables to come and be a head coach, I'm not gonna say no to that. First time head coaches worry me, but I mean he's been he's been there under Clemson. He's seen it. I, I think that he'll do great wherever he goes. Yeah, Brent Venables has earned the right to do what he wants at this point. Just wants to be an assistant and go to national title games every year, so be it. Other names to watch out, though, for, for Michigan for me would be our man Justin Wilcox at Cal, a really good defensive head coach and maximizing his roster talent in Berkeley, and a guy who, quote-unquote, took a year off to retire last year, proven winner everywhere, Chris Peterson. Yeah, I don't see Chris Peterson coming back. Um, he only took the Washington job because his family liked the area. I mean, he's very much about his family and being happy and being in a place where he wants to be. So I don't see that. Brett Venables is going to be tough to pull away with two kids on the roster. Um, South Carolina is going to open up as well, and he might prefer that move to stay in state. I don't know. But if you get Brett Venables, I'd be for that. If you could get a guy like Lincoln Riley, if he becomes available after this season, that seems a bit of a long shot. You and I are the only ones really talking about Justin Wilcox, but I do like that he's young and defensive-minded. I would want to probably keep Gaddis on in that situation. Um, other than that, I mean, who else is out there? Some fans are saying Urban Meyer, but I would 
probably rather wade through a pit of fire ants than watch Urban Meyer become our head coach personally, but he would win. The dude is a winner. The dude is a winner. I mean, complete scumbag, but yes, complete winner. And um, I do not want Les Miles. Do not give me the Michigan man antiquated theory. I don't want to hear it. He's like 0-6 right now at Kansas. Why would you want to get – no, no, don't even bring that up. There's got to be better names. Matt Campbell I would prefer over at Iowa State. I mean, he's had like, what, two wins against top five teams already? Yeah, so yeah, Matt Campbell's a winner, and he maximizes talent. So it's like you can put him in a position in Michigan where you have the name brand and the resources. How much more could he do? Yeah, so what do you think we should do, and what do you think we will do? I think I, I want to see how the season plays out before I write the before I close the book on Harbaugh. Like he's earned, he's not going to be a midseason fire, and that has to play out. If he wins two games and none of them are Ohio State, then he has to be gone. If he wins only three games and none of them are Ohio State, he probably has to be gone because three and five is not going to cut it. Um, four and four, I think he comes back. I think you run it back the last year of the contract and approve it deal. But I think more than likely, no matter what Michigan is going to do, is he's going to come back due to the financial limitations because of COVID. I agree with you. I think that's what will happen. As far as what should happen, I agree. you got to let this season play out. Give him a chance to right the ship. There's so much talent on this team. It, you should never, never have a, a season that's below 500, even in a truncated season like this. You should find a way to get to 500. Four and four will be enough to bring him back. But if he decides that what they've got on the staff is good enough, I'm going to be extremely upset. So I think what does happen is Harbaugh comes back and you see a shift on the defense uh, as far as coordinators. Yeah, there has to be some kind of cataclysmic change on the defensive side of the football. We can't just run it back. We can't do the D'Antonio shuffle. We, there has to be changes made. The culture needs adjusted. It really does, and I don't know necessarily who that is, but we've thrown some names out there, and I'd be excited by Madison, Marcus Freeman, or Jeremy Pruitt. Pruitt would probably be my number one if he becomes available. Yeah, go please, Tennessee, fire him already. Just, what, what are you doing? Just get rid of him. Yeah, well, <laughs> let's just start getting in their ear, their program's ear, about how bad he is so we can come in and take him as our D.C. Tennessee, blo Tennessee blogs, we're coming for you. <laughs> Just get ready for it. All right, speaking of getting ready, we got a game this weekend. Sounds like uh, Wisconsin has enough people that aren't uh, violently ill that they're going to play. So, yay for us. Yeah, I'm glad they're coming back now. We have four quarters of tape on them, and Graham Mertz looks like Peyton Manning. So, great. Yeah, this is tough to do a preview for because uh, there's just not much tape out there. But Graham Mertz looks like the best quarterback we've played yet. And <laughs> look at what marginal quarterbacks have been able to do against us. I don't know how Tanner Morgan and their receiving core weren't able to get more going against us, looking at how bad we are now. It doesn't make sense. I have no idea. Thank God two of their offensive linemen were out. That must have been it. The pressure was better that day. We did were able to get pressure. So if we're able to get pressure on the second best offensive line we're going to face all year, <laughs> then we should be in good shape. But, oh, yeah, and Aiden Hutchinson's not going to play in this one. Uh, and Quiddy Pay was banged up in the last one. So and we still might be without our two, two starting tackles. And Luigi Villain was also banged up in the last one. <laughs> and Cam McGrone was hobbled a little bit. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Based on what we've seen on tape, granted, they only played Illinois. And I did watch that game, so I, I am familiar with what they've got. And I thought that they were – a, a good team and we're going to be um, above average in the passing game. But I thought that they were maybe lacking as far as that dominant running game 
that doesn't matter. Like, we're actually doing okay against the run, but teams are just able to eat on our secondary, and Graham Mertz is super accurate. That, you could tell, even against Illinois, doesn't matter who you're playing. Putting the ball where it needs to be put is, I mean, it, it does not matter the competition, and he can do just that. And Vincent Gray, oh, my poor sweet boy, who I don't want to, like, I, I know you've been getting ragged on and getting drugged through the mud, but it could be another long day for him. Graham Mertz was 20 of 21, 248, and five touchdowns. They had 10 players record a rush in this game. Like, it's That's what I'm saying. Like They didn't need to worry about their running game because now they found a quarterback. And their offensive line, probably not as strong as it's been. In fact, I will say assuredly not as strong as it's been in some of the past years because they've had absolute monsters. So, uh, But, I mean, it's Wisconsin. They're going to get it right. Uh, I guess what you hope for in this game is that two weeks of not being a football program gives us the leg up. <laughs> yeah, Graham Mertz is going to have like two practices since October 23rd. And he's probably going to come in and make Don Brown look like he just learned what football was like <laughs> last week. Optimism is sky high here at Out of the Blue this week. I mean, if it were anything else, if, they're, <laughs> if they were the normal Wisconsin team and they had to like just pound the ball and Jack Cone had to beat us, I'd be like, all right, we're going to have a chance in this. But what they excel at based on the one game that I've seen is putting the ball into receiver's hands down the field. And what is the thing that absolutely can be taken advantage of on our team? Oh, yeah, it's our secondary, particularly the corners. <laughs> Besides our defensive ineptitude that's going to just be exploited again in this game, how do you think the offense is going to fare against Wisconsin's defense? Uh, depends if we can get one of the two tackles back. If we can't get them both back, it, it could be, or if we don't get either of them back, excuse me, it's going to be rough again. I mean, we're still adjusting there. And I thought that the new offensive line, the shuffled offensive line did okay. All things considered Joe Milton was under pressure, but it wasn't immediate pressure to the point, like end of the Hoke era where you're just like, all right, you know, do we even have an offensive line or are they just sticking tent poles into the ground? <laughs> It was definitely better than that, but they at least have to be able to establish some sort of rushing attack to allow Milton time and opportunity to see the field and not get so scared back there. He can't be like Sam Darnold last year and seeing ghosts because that's how he's played at times this season. So, yeah, I am I am not really afraid. I'm just kind of expecting bad things. I'm not afraid because you've already removed my heart and soul. What more can you do to me? <laughs> We say that we're not, we'll say that against Ohio State. They're just going to go for the jugular. So, yeah, Ohio State could do it, but Michigan State already was the most brutal loss of the year, and then Ohio State can maybe come back and and beat that as far as brutality. But if we get beat by Wisconsin, I mean, I'm expecting it. Now, if we get blown out, and I would say that Indiana blew us out, even though it was only 17 points or whatever. That's that's a blowout for. An Indiana team that, you know, usually recruits in the 30s and we recruit in the top 10. Wisconsin is a better team. They're more talented. Oh, yeah. And they already in uh, his first year have a quarterback that can put touch on the ball down the field. We don't have that yet. Harbaugh's in year six and his best quarterback was a guy that's wearing new balances somewhere grilling a prime rib and about to become a surgeon. I love Jake Rudock so much. Me too. You want to come back and play a couple games for us? Come on, Dad Rudolph. We can find a COVID loophole. <laughs> There's something out there. I'm going to get the best lawyers on this. All right, man. You got a you got a prediction how this one's going to play out? 
Yeah, uh, I was pretty close last week. I, I predicted Indiana beating us. Somehow this opened as Michigan as three-point favorites. Um, I think that's just because Michigan are betting darlings, and uh, we have one of the largest betting fan bases. I will say, though, this was the game that I predicted at the beginning of the year would be the wake-up game for Michigan. Actually, I, I called it the Joe Milton breakout game. I said that early on. I was like, he's not going to come out firing out of the gates. They're going to want to run the ball and get him used to it. I think that you saw some things last week that were, yeah, definitely some coachable moments, but you saw like that pass to Cornelius Johnson. When we needed it, he got that ball to Ronnie Bell where only Ronnie Bell could get it. There was enough there that I think that Joe Milton improves in this game, and I think we score some points. So I don't think it'll be a blowout. I just think that Wisconsin's a better team, and our defense – Unless Don Brown learned how to coach zone all of a sudden over the week, um, I'm going to predict something like 34-28 Wisconsin. 34-28, closer than I thought you'd go. I like that. I think the offense wakes up this week. Okay. I'm going to go similar. I think it's a little bigger gap. I'm going to go Wisconsin 41-28. Just a little bit bigger, not a blowout, but 13 points. Yeah, 41 points makes you feel like it's a blowout. I mean, if 41 points get hung on us, that's probably the end for Don Brown, so that'd be one good thing to come of it. There's probably still coaching now. Yeah, there's the positive to come out of this. Uh, Over under 400 yards for Wisconsin's offense. I will say over again. Uh, That clearly is a trend. We are, as I said earlier, four, uh, four losses in our last five games, and in those losses, over 400 yards each time. So as I'm predicting this as a loss, I would say over 400. How many times have we predicted Michigan losses here? I think less than five, probably. Uh, I mean, we don't often predict Michigan losses. I feel like we're generally the more optimistic. Uh, we uh, we did predict Minnesota would beat us in the offseason, but then before the game, we changed that up and said Michigan would win. Um, I predicted Ohio State beating us last year. I don't. Did you? I thought we both like returned ship and like we're always going to pick Michigan. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I said I was going to, and then at the last minute, I said it doesn't feel right. This year, I've learned my lesson this year. Uh, I'll predict it now. 61-20. <laughs> it's going to be uh, – we're not even going to talk. We're just going to cry that week on the podcast. We're just going to watch 2016 and talk about what could have happened. Yeah, I'm going to put on Shawshank Redemption, and we'll just play the audio of that because it'll be less sad. <laughs> so if you guys ever seen this really sad Tar- uh, Tarkovsky movie, okay, we're going to watch it. No subtitles. Yeah, Shawshank's not sad enough. <laughs> we need more tears in here. We're going to watch a star is born and just cry the whole time. We're going to watch the boy in the striped pajamas, and you're, you're going to listen to the whole thing while we cry. <laughs> that's And that's all it's going to be. It's like, thanks for coming. Thanks thanks for joining us on Out of the Blue. Uh, all right, brother. Any, any final thoughts on this one? Uh, I, I hope Don Brown can write the ship for a game or two, get some wins, but this is his last season at Michigan. Most likely, most likely. But chance to right the ship here, and you went out all the way up until Ohio State. Yeah, this is the salvage season. Yeah, then you give us hope again and before we get our souls ripped out. Yes, correct. If Don Brown is coaching for us next year, though, I swear to God. I don't know what I'm going to do, but we, I, I'm going to raise a fit on this podcast at the very least. We will pick it every game. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm able to make it to. Yeah. One I will pick it on Zoom. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> All right, brother. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, wherever. Uh, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Maze and Brew. 
I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.